0: The church family here is going to, uh, is going to preach for us. And I'm just going to lead us in a prayer uh, as they do that. Father God, I pray that you would now speak to us as your word is read, as your word is preached, would we meet Jesus? For I pray it in his name. Amen. The,
1: the parable of the lost son. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons The younger one said to his father, "'Father, give me my share of the estate.' So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off to a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need.' So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many uh, of my father's hired men have food to spare? And he am I starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, "'But he answered his father, "'Look, all these years I have been slaving for you "'and never disobeyed your orders. "'Yet you never gave me even a young goat "'so I could celebrate with my friends. "'But when this son of yours, "'who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, "'you kill the fatted calf for him. "'My son,' the father said, "'you are always with me, and everything I have is yours.' but we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found.
0: a moment. Father God, in the noise and, and chaos of our lives, thank you so much for this time to focus on you. We pray you would be here with us this morning, and I pray that you would take my words and show us what you really mean. Amen. Phew, I thought I wasn't going to have a lectern there for a minute, and it's my safety blanket. I can, I can hide behind it, kind of. <laughs> so, phew! Anyway, this week, I've been feeling really great. I've been promoted. Yeah. No, not at work, no, uh, not a new title, no bigger salary. It would be nice if my boss is listening, yes, please, but anyway. No, I've kind of been promoted here in church. Let me explain. As those of you who've been here for a few years know, by a fluke of scheduling or nobody else wanting to do it, I often get to preach on the Sunday before Advent, a Sunday we know as Christ the King Sunday. In fact, I've spoken on that particular Sunday so many times it's kind of become a bit of an in-joke amongst some of the guys who do the preaching um, that it's natural that I'd be in that slot. Christ the King Sunday, as you probably know, it's, a, it's a, the end of what we have as the ecclesiastical church year. And it's a way of celebrating that Jesus is the Lord of all uh, over everything before we start the church year again with Advent and dive into, in, into the new year. Uh, but thanks, of course, to David Coretto coming last week, that wasn't possible. So here I am. I've gone preaching, gone from preaching on the last Sunday of the year to the very first. Now, if that's not a promotion, I don't know what is. And the thing about Christ the King Sunday being when it is, is that I've always been trying to avoid the C word, Christmas, because it's just too early. But this year, things are different. This year, we celebrate, sorry, this week, not this year, we're celebrating the start of a new church year. We've lit the first advent candle, and we can start the build-up to the celebration of the birth of Christ. Of course, this year feels a bit different all round. we finally lost those COVID restrictions. Um, I'm a celebrity, started early um, to accommodate that weirdest of things, a winter World Cup. And of course I'm nothing if not flexible. If celebrities can go into the jungle to be humiliated early and England can go to a World Cup hosted by a tiny country that only got it because they've got lots of money, then of course I can do something different too. And to be honest, you've probably heard everything I've got to say about Christ the King Sunday, so. For those of you who are regulars, it's probably a good thing that I've moved. Anyway, it's a real privilege, actually, to talk to you on the first Sunday of Advent. So, Happy New Year. And what a year it's been, hasn't it? How many prime ministers? Um, We have a new king. Um, But more importantly, here in this place, loads more people. Children in the creche. The hall is overflowing with kids down there. What a fantastic year it's been in this church. Weirdly though, to me, it doesn't seem five minutes since last Christmas. Maybe that's because when you get to my age, I was actually 50 this year, things seem to happen faster. I think when you're young, years drag, and certainly Advent seems to last a lifetime. But now it's a real effort to slow things down. We all do it, don't we? We constantly tick off events in our lives that take us through the year. First it's Christmas, then in our house it's family birthdays, then it's Easter, then there are bank holidays, then there's a summer holiday. Then Strictly Come Dancing starts again. and ant and deck pop up in the jungle, and before you know it, you're back to next Christmas. And we kind of do that in church too. We've got so many things to fit in to make sure we celebrate the key moments in Christianity, we're always on a timetable. It won't be long before it's Easter, And of course, right now, we're all busy, aren't we? A colleague said to me the other day, he said, "Uh, I've got no free weekend days before Christmas. But the way he said it, he didn't make it sound much fun. In fact, the way he said it made it sound that Christmas was just a hassle. Now, that might be the British way of moaning about something we secretly quite like, or it might reflect what Christmas has become to so many people. Despite the fact that now at Advent I've kind of given myself permission to talk about Christmas, the shops and TV have been full of it for weeks, haven't they? And if you're like my family, we've actually been buying presents and frantically negotiating where to have lunch on Christmas Day, planning menus, planning trips to relatives for quite a while now. We've kind of already been become half-consumed by Christmas, but at least now we're in Advent, I kind of feel it's okay to Say we're doing Christmas stuff. And there's just so much fog around Christmas, isn't there? There's so much commercialism, pressure on finances. There's pressure to kind of do the right thing. There's pressure to buy the right gifts. And sometimes it's really hard to see through that fog, to see the Christ child at the heart of it all. We all get caught up, don't we? No matter how many times we've been through Christmas, We go through that same mad panic. We still make endless lists. We still worry that great Aunt Mildred won't like the Christmas dinner. We all stress about what to buy people, whether we can afford it, how much it's going to cost us. The whole thing is just a stress. And because of that, personally, the nearer I get to Christmas, the more often I need to force myself to take a minute to see through that fog, the fog that the world builds around this time of year. Now, the reading we've had today isn't often used as an Advent reading. But if you want something that talks about coming back into the welcoming arms of God, then you can't do much better. The passage, of course, applies to those of us who've been here for years and let our minds wander just as much as those of you who are setting out on your journey with Jesus. From Luke 15, now, the passage we heard, the bit of it, follows two other really well-known parables the first jesus suggests that if you have a hundred sheep and lose one you would always leave the 99 sheep in a field and go and find one that's the parable of the lost sheep and then secondly the lost coin there's a lady who has 10 coins but she loses one and she lights a lamp and frantically searches the house until she finds it and both of those parables are trying to tell us what god is like he doesn't care just For the majority of people, he wants a relationship with all of us. He doesn't want to let the odd one drift away. Now, at this time, with this parable that we've heard, if we go back to the very first verse in Luke 15, we find out who Jesus was actually talking to at the time, and it's useful to know that. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So we know there weren't only tax collectors, who of course the Jews despised because they were collecting tax for the Romans, but there were sinners, and that's anyone who'd done anything wrong in the eyes of the Pharisees. And then there were the Pharisees themselves, who, as we all know, were completely perfect. Jesus told all these parables in Luke 15 to try and explain to the Pharisees who were complaining that Jesus was spending too much time with questionable people, that God is interested in everyone, regardless of who they are. That God doesn't care about race or denomination or even what you've done. He cares about who you can be. And he doesn't stop searching for us in the hope that we will come home to him. Now today's story of the prodigal son is one that you could sort of use for any point in history, from when Jesus told it to right now. And just to just to clarify, prodigal generally means someone who wastes things like money or talents or resources. And some people indeed have called us, as a collective, a prodigal people because of how we waste the waste of the earth's resources. Anyway, today's story. Starts with a young man who can see that his dad is pretty rich. He doesn't want to wait till his dad dies to inherit his share of the estate. He wants to go out and spend it now and not on anything sensible. He wants to have fun on the back of his dad's efforts. And he doesn't seem to have had any thought for the fact that his father has done all of this other than that he's a good source of cash. So the father, being kind and generous, splits his estate gives half to the younger son. And fairly soon afterwards, the younger son moves away to a far-off place where, basically, he parties it all away. And he has a great time. That is, until he runs out of money. He soon finds out that without money, he is nothing. No friends want want to know him. And there's a local famine, so he has to take a job to get by. And he takes the only job he can get. He's put to work looking after pigs, an animal considered totally unclean to him. So that's a real humiliation. Not only that, but even the pigs are eating better than he is. Now, not unnaturally, this young son comes to the realization that his father's servants were living better than he was. So he decides to go home and apologize in the hope that his dad had just let him work and be a servant to him. Don't underestimate, again, what a humiliation that would be. But when deciding to go home, the son only has the hope that his dad will be good enough to let him live in the barn and be a servant. He's not expecting to pick up where he left off. Now, whichever way you look at it, this son has been a bit of a disappointment to his family. He's squandered everything he has, half of what his dad has worked so hard to achieve. You'd think his dad probably would have a right to be cross. But that does not happen. The father sees his younger son coming towards him, and he is filled with compassion, we're told. He runs towards his son and, uh, uh, who apologizes, and he clearly means it. Um, he's had a real lesson in, in, in what happens if you don't look after what you've had. As it says in the passage, he came to his senses. But his father is so happy to see him. And yes, perhaps moved by his son's repentance. He gets him cleaned up. He gives him new clothes, the best clothes. And then his dad lays on a feast to celebrate his return. Now, if the story ended there, it still has a great message for us. That God the father is happy when those of us who've gone astray come back to him overjoyed in fact but it doesn't end there there's the older brother who whilst the younger son was off squandering his inheritance was still hard at work in the fields trying to make sure there was still something for the family to live on and that older brother is a bit miffed when news of his brother's return reaches him or rather it's not the fact that he's come back it's the fact that his brother is treated so well I've been slaving away all this time while he goes and wastes our money on wine and women and you, dad, reward him with a big party as though nothing happened. You can see that would be his reaction. And the father tries to talk the elder son down by explaining that it's important they celebrate the return of the son who they thought was dead. The father is willing to forgive. He rejoiced when his son came back. But that doesn't mean he didn't love the elder son too but remember this is a parable and remember as Jesus says in verse 7 of Luke 15 I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent now clearly in this story Jesus is is aiming the self-righteous brother, the elder brother, at the Pharisees. The ones who followed the rule, towed the line, but ultimately didn't much like those around them and didn't like the fact that Jesus was mixing with the tax collectors and sinners. The brother in the story doesn't show any of the traits you would expect of someone who loved his own brother. It's safe to say he's jealous that his younger brother could go off and enjoy himself and yet still be forgiven. Jesus was using the prodigal son to represent the sinners and the tax collectors that were listening at the time. And today he represents everyone who's far from God, those that used to know him and those that don't know him yet. The father, of course, is God who longs desperately to have us back, who mourns even the loss of one person and who forgives those of us who come back to him when we're truly sorry. But for us, the good news this Advent time is that God is the father of that errant child who is us. He longs for us to go back to him, to find him again in that fog of life I was talking about. And the Christmas story reminds us that God didn't sit and wait for us to go back to him. He sent his shepherd to look for us to look for his prodigal people that had gone astray. God sent Jesus to meet us while we were still far off. Jesus is our God, our father, running to greet us, his prodigal people. He comes to meet us wherever we are and however we are. God comes in human form and he wants to come running to us if we only turn to him. All we have to do is say we're sorry and start back to God, to turn for home as the prodigal son did. Amen.